You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Matthew 8, starting in verse 5, 5 through 13. And Emily's going to come and read our scripture for us today. Matthew 8, chapter, yeah, Matthew 8, verse 5 through 13. When he had entered Capernaum, a century... A centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the son of the kingdoms will throw... Be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the, ver- and the servant was healed at that very moment. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word, we thank you for the fact that it's um, a light in a dark place, that you say that you are the light of the world, and that you are, Jesus, the word of God. And Father, we thank you so much for this scene that has been recorded and, and has endured for 2,000 years. So that by your spirit, the power of your word can, can bless us this morning. I pray that we'd be open to that, that we'd have hearts to receive. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's look here um, at verse 5. And then just glance above it, and we can recall what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about verses 1 through 4. Jesus engaging with a leper, okay? He was hanging out with someone who was as marginalized as it got in their culture, right? Someone who was stigmatized, marginalized, horrible skin disease, contagious, outcast on the margins of society. And if you were gone last week, I'd encourage you to check out the podcast because last week's sermon, this week's sermon really kind of complement one another, So right on the heels of him engaging with this person who was as marginalized as possible, we find this different account here, starting in verse 5. We have Jesus hanging out with someone totally different. 
And the person who's totally different is, the text says he's a centurion. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him. Now, we have to understand who a centurion was. It's easy to remember, like the word century, a hundred years. A centurion was someone who was in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers, okay? So a centurion was an officer in the Roman military, someone who was well-trained, well-paid, uh, had authority directly from the emperor. And so just knowing that information, think about the contrast between last week and this week. Last week, Jesus is with someone as marginalized as it could get. And then this week with a centurion, he's not with someone marginalized at all. He's with a man of great authority and great privilege, respected. And he works for the conquering imperialism of Rome. Rome did not suffer fools, right? You resist Rome, typically you would die. And so right off the bat, based on historical information here that we know about Jesus' world, let's, let's ask ourselves a straightforward question, okay? And, and, and not gloss this over. Here's the question. How do you feel about Jesus interacting with this guy? In this way. Like, does it have the potential to offend you that Jesus hangs out with someone of extreme privilege? Probably had a good amount of money. He was a one percenter. Like, what do you think Matthew might be trying to show us here? I know a lot of us in our cultural moment here, um, we're concerned about social justice. And I don't mean that in like the, I don't mean that in like the pejorative social justice warrior kind of term that gets kicked around in our culture. I don't mean that at all. I just mean that God is a God of justice. So his people should be concerned with justice. Like Matthew 6, 8, do justly. Love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And I can give you a thousand other texts about God's view of justice. The cross of Christ is the ultimate expression of justice. So a lot of us are concerned, and we should be if we're Christians, about justice in our world. Our God is a God of justice. But don't miss what is happening in this text and it might humble us, maybe make us a little uncomfortable if we'll let it. If we remember who the Romans were, who were these people? Who, who was this governmental system? What, what did they do? How did they operate? Like, Jesus, how come you didn't confront the centurion and the injustice of just conquering peoples from Spain to India? And if they resisted, you just killed them. Like, Jesus, how come you didn't address that with this guy? He's part of that system. Like, Jesus, don't you know what this guy probably participated in? Right? He's probably got blood on his hands. Probably did some shady things. He, he probably oversaw brutal crucifixions. Like, we know from the rest of the Bible that centurions were in charge of, of, of overseeing crucifixions in that day and age. Like, Jesus, you said you came to set captives free. 
but the centurion is a part of a system that keeps captives in captivity. See, a lot of times we think about Jesus hanging out with marginalized people, right? The poor, the weak, the broken, the shunned. And that resonates with people in our cultural moment. Like people like, when they hear Jesus is, is interested in those things, people are like, yeah, that's cool about Jesus. But have you thought about Jesus hanging out with people of privilege? Maybe people that are complicit with an unjust government. So let me, let me maybe bring this home to bear, like land this kind of in our neighborhood for us to, to, to bring it to light. Like for us, you could maybe think of it like this. Think of a politician that you don't think very highly of. That may not be hard for some of us. And then you go and you see Jesus interact with and show mercy to someone on that politician's staff that you kind of loathe. Now, be honest. Imagine that scenario in your mind. Jesus is hanging out with the staff person of the politician that you just really have deep problems with. And it doesn't look like right off the bat that Jesus is just like bringing rebuke for this guy. Like, what do you... What are you tempted to say to Jesus? What are you tempted to feel towards Jesus? Now, be careful, because people that rebuke Jesus typically doesn't go very well for them. You could ask Peter about that. But let's just be honest with our hearts right now, right? How do we feel about Jesus in this scene if we understand who a centurion really was? Like last week, a lot of us needed to be confronted with the fact that we just don't care about marginalized people. And there's a lot of them in Madison. There's a lot of them around the world. And it's just like, I'm going to do my thing, and I'm comfortable, so what's the big deal? Last week, a lot of us needed to be confronted with the compassion of Jesus toward those who are marginalized. Today, I wonder, though, if some of us need to be confronted with our lack of mercy or compassion for those who are one percenters. Now, you might say, they don't need compassion. What do they need compassion for? They got the money. They don't need compassion. What do they need compassion for? They've got the power. But be careful. Just because someone has power and money doesn't mean they aren't worthy of mercy, right? Like, if we truly knew, if you're Christian here today, then that implies that you really know how deeply God's mercy has invaded your life for your good, for your blessing. And if that's true about my life, that's true about your life, wouldn't it stand to reason then that I should be quick to want to extend mercy to all sorts of people in light of the mercy that I've been shown? Now, this doesn't mean that we or Jesus just sweep individual sin under the rug. It doesn't mean that we sweep unjust systems of government under the rug. And we know from other parts of the Bible that, that Jesus commends someone like Zacchaeus, who was a great sinner, also a part of an unjust Roman governmental system. He commends him for pursuing justice and seeking to make right what he's done wrong. Okay? This doesn't mean that Jesus is in favor of oppressing people, stealing people's land, imperialism, colonialism, or anything like that. 
That's a different sermon. But real simple this morning, I just think it's important for some of us to pause and really think about what Jesus is doing here right off the bat in this text. Just the fact that he's engaging with a centurion. Like, he has mercy for the one percenter. And if Jesus has mercy for the person of privilege, if that person comes to him in humility, does that imply anything for us? Right? Like, don't we all, no matter who we are, where we come from, need to humble ourselves and find mercy from Jesus? Shouldn't we be willing to extend mercy to all kinds of people? Don't all types of people need mercy from Jesus? Like, do we make superficial judgments about people that lead to assuming the worst about them, maybe because of their power or money or privilege, status in the culture? But this text might help us remind us that Jesus' mercy mercy is for all. And if he doesn't judge them right out of the gate, maybe we should pause before we assume we have the right to dislike someone based on a superficial assumption. Jesus has a heart for the marginalized and the one percenter and everybody in between. Everybody needs Jesus. I think that's what Matthew was doing here. I don't think he's putting these narratives side by side as an accident. These are two very, very different types of people in an ancient Jewish Roman world. And they both have great need of Jesus. And he says, when you come to me in humility, I'm willing to engage with you. I'm willing to show you mercy. I'm willing to love you. Isn't that good news for us this morning? Right? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. So let's review. Sorry. Um, So centurion comes to Jesus. My servant is suffering and needs to be healed. Jesus says to him, I am willing. I will come and heal him. The centurion now replies to this. Look at verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. And here's his logic. Track with his logic here. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So what's going on here? It's very interesting, his response. I would boil it down to something like this. You know how when someone has an area of expertise, they can see that expertise very, very quickly, right away. Maybe when others might not be able to see it so quick if they don't have that same expertise, right? So, for example, um, my son, Emery, does gymnastics. And before he decided to get into gymnastics, our family didn't know anything about gymnastics other than enjoying watching it during the Olympics, right? And so we go to his first meet, and I have no expertise in understanding why one gymnast gets better scores than another. So we might be sitting next to an assistant coach or a parent with a lot more experience, and I have to turn and I say, hey, my son got this score, another kid got this score, can you help me see the difference because I'm just not seeing it? And so then they educate me and train me, and now, okay, I got it. Or another great example would be 
like I like to watch football, but I'm a very casual football watcher. And so, you know, you see these huge offensive linemen running into the defensive linemen, and they all look the same to me. If I'm watching the Packers, I'm watching the Badgers or whatever, it all just kind of looks the same to me. I can't sit there and go, well, this offensive lineman clearly is going to be a first-round draft pick. This guy's never going to make it to the NFL. But there are people that are paid lots and lots of money to very quickly, based on their expertise, show up to a college football game and go, this guy should be our number one draft pick. This guy clearly shouldn't because they have expertise. They can see it quickly. It's easy for them to recognize. Like I've spent a lot of time in my life in music and playing the piano. And so I can probably see things a lot quicker than someone who doesn't have any experience with piano saying, oh, that that guy's really good. I can see that in about five seconds. That guy, not really, you know. And that's an analogy for what's happening in this text. See, the centurion is an an expert, has much expertise in the area of authority, right? And that's what he says. He says, I know it when I see it, and Jesus, you have it. And he makes the case for himself. I mean, look at it here. Uh, Verse 9. He says, for I too am a man under authority, soldiers under me. I say to one, go. Like he's just laying out his case. Basically, I say go, they go. I say jump, they say how high. I mean, that's what we say in our culture, right? That's just what he's doing here. He's like, I know how authority works. The Roman structure that I've submitted myself to, and they, they give me a word, and I have to obey it, or things will not go well for me. And those under my charge, if I tell them, they do it. It's just a simple one-to-one connection. That's how authority works. That's how the chain of command works. It's like I got a lot of experience in giving and receiving orders. Just saying, I know it when I see it. And what's amazing is he says, you don't even need to come to my house. Jesus, I don't even need you to come to my house. Isn't that amazing? Just say the word. You have authority. I see it. Boom. I believe in it. Done. Verse 10, check it out. Look at how Jesus responds. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. Now, that's interesting. It's very rare in the Gospels where it says that Jesus marvels at someone's faith. This is a non-Jewish guy. Probably didn't ever read the Old Testament. Doesn't have a lot of experience. He's just like, I know authority when I see it, and you have it. I'm trusting in your authority. When he heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him. So there's a crowd gathered around, right? Imagine that in your mind. Jesus, centurion, Jesus is talking. People gathered around. Look what he says. He says, truly, like, listen up. This is as true as it gets. I'm underscoring this. He says, truly, I tell you, crowds, listen up. With no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? When he speaks of Israel here, he's speaking of God's chosen people from the Old Testament, Jewish people by ethnicity. That's who was probably gathered around. And by and large, those are the people that rejected him in the uh, Gospels. They didn't believe him. They wanted more evidence. A lot of, especially the religious elite, they're like, Jesus, yeah, you can do some cool stuff, but we need some more. And here's, a, here's a, a scripture that illustrates this. Jesus has an interchange with some religious leaders, and they're demonstrating the opposite of the centurion's faith. Check this out. Uh, 
And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him. So the, the centurion comes in humility. He calls him Lord, right? But the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Jewish religious elite, they came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Jesus answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. He's basically saying, you guys are really good meteorologists. You look at the evidence, and then you act upon the evidence based on what you see. And he's just saying, you can't interpret the sign of the times, meaning I am the sign in these times that God is among you. And he's saying, you can look at the sky and act upon it, but you can't look at me and then act upon it in faith. Let's keep reading. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, meaning, God, I just need more. I'll trust you when you give me just one more piece of evidence, just one more. We can do that too, right? But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Now, I bring this up because there's a distinct contrast. And I think that's why Jesus says, check out the centurion. He, do, he shouldn't know better. He doesn't have the Old Testament. He's a Gentile with no religious history. And he's believing in me like that just based on my authority that he sees in my teaching and my deeds. And you got all these guys with all the Old Testament that should have understood the promise of Messiah, that when he would come, he would do these things, and you shouldn't need more. But he commends the centurion. The centurion just basically said, I don't need more. I've seen enough. I don't need any more evidence. I don't need to demand more things from you, Jesus. I get authority, say the word, and that's enough. And in addition, he comes in humility, says Lord in verse 8. Jesus says that this centurion, who's complicit with an unjust government, who's a one percenter, exhibits faith that he wants to commend to all of God's people. That's why Matthew wrote it down for us to read today. We can learn from this centurion. That's what he wanted these crowds to see right away. And I think 2,000 years later, the message is the same for us. So knowing what we know about the centurion, it's good for us, though, just to slow down probably. And remember, things are not always as they seem. The Bible says don't judge on the outside for God looks at the heart. And then Jesus, as we close this text, Jesus kind of rounds the bases, sums it up, gives kind of a punchline here. It's very unique. He uses this scene of centurion, his faith, people gathered around to teach people in this crowd some end times theology. Isn't that interesting? He brings a message of hope for those who are willing to trust him and a message of judgment to those who reject him. Look at what he says. Now remember, who's the centurion? Centurion is not Jewish. He's an outsider from a Jewish perspective. And look at what, look at what Jesus says, verse 11. Look at it here. He says, I tell you, many will come from the east and west. 
Now, that's just a, a colorful way of saying people from all nations, people not just all about this geography here. See, Old Testament people, um, Jewish people were, were all about their geography. They thought that simply be, being from this country, the nation of Israel, because God shows us, that makes us good with the Lord because I find myself in the confines of these geographic borders. And Jesus is going to use the faith of the centurion to blow up that mindset. He's saying, no, 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 it's not just about your geography. It's not just about your ethnicity. There's going to be a lot of people way out east, way out west, north, south, coming from all ends of the earth that are going to come. He's saying the gospel is for all nations, not just Jewish people in this geographic area, but even Roman guys. See, he's, he's teaching that faith in him is the difference between who's in and who's out. It's not your ethnicity. So that's what he's saying. Many are going to come from all over, many different countries. The promise to Abraham that you're going to be a blessing, your people are going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth is coming true in Jesus. And this Roman centurion is evidence number one of that. He's not an insider religiously. The gospel's not for religious insiders. It's for anybody who will come to Jesus. So did you hear that? It's very, very inclusive and very exclusive. Inclusive, all are welcome. Exclusive, only Jesus. And here's what those people will do. Look at, look at verse 11, the second half of it. Gentiles from Rome can come. Madisonians can come. Anybody in the world can come. And, and those who come based on Jesus and trusting in him and what he's done for them in the cross and the empty tomb where he laid down his life for their sins so they could be made clean, Here's what those people will do. They're going to recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what is this all about? This is a picture of the end times. See, in the Jewish mindset, that's his original audience, crowds gathered around, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're the fathers of the faith, the heroes of the faith. And so to recline with them at table is just a metaphor for the rest and the bliss that would be experienced on the day when Jesus returns, makes all things right, does away with all evil forever, and sets up the new heavens and the new earth. And, there, and the Revelation says, the book of Revelation says, there'll be a marriage supper of the Lamb it's like a huge party of celebration for all that God has done and who he is. And so Jesus is just saying, on that day, there's going to be a lot of people there that you probably don't expect. And there's probably going to be people that aren't there that you thought were going to be there. His whole point is just this. If you're trusting in your ethnicity, that's not it. The issue is faith in me, he says, not your ethnicity. He's saying if you think that you're in just because you've got your Jewish card or just because you're, man, I serve at church a lot card. My attendance at church is amazing card. Or whatever outward thing you're trusting in to save you, Jesus is saying it won't. The only thing that saves you is having faith like this centurion. 
Are you willing to be like the centurion? So how would we summarize the centurion's faith? Number one, do you have humble faith to call me Lord, Jesus says. Number two, can you see that I have authority over all things? Number three, are you willing to trust this authority by faith? Let me say that again. Can you humble yourself and call Jesus Lord? Or would you prefer to be your own Lord? Can you see, Jesus says, that I have authority over all things? Number three, are you willing to trust this authority by faith? So in closing, I think it's clear that Jesus is just making the centurion a a massive object lesson for that immediate crowd that was gathered around and for us that are gathered around this morning. Faith in Jesus is what saves you. Faith in Jesus is what is going to put you at that table at the marriage supper of the Lamb to enjoy eternity forever with God. Faith in Jesus is what accomplishes that. So lepers can be saved by Jesus. Centurions can be saved by Jesus. Poor people can be saved. Rich people can be saved. People on the margins, people of privilege, people from Congo, from Senegal, from India, from Canada, from Ecuador, from Madison, from Morocco, Jewish people, Roman people. The issue is not any outward part of your identity. It has nothing to do with your ethnicity, your money, your accomplishments, your family heritage. The only question when it comes to who will be with Jesus and enjoy him forever in the new heavens and new earth is this. Do you have humble faith to call me Lord? Do you believe and see my authority? And are, are you willing to trust this authority by faith? Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help us have faith like this centurion that doesn't need more evidence, that simply believes based on what he has seen? Lord, I pray that we would not put you to the test, demanding more signs, demanding more evidence. Lord, I pray you just give us humble, childlike faith. Lord, we thank you for your cross where you paid for our sins. May that be evidence enough that you love us and that we can trust you. We thank you for your resurrection, where you conquered death and proved all that you said was true. May that be enough evidence for us, God, to come to you in trusting faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.